everyone, it's Krista Bontrager, and I'm your tour guide this year as we go through the Bible as part of the Route 66 campaign for Grace Church of Glendora. This is the Points of Interest podcast, where we preview this week's reading and get you ready to get into the Word of God. Are you ready? Here we go. Well, welcome to week 14. We're about 25% of the way through our journey this year. I hope that you're continuing not only to keep up with us, but also to be in the Word and being challenged by the Word. I hope this is a fruitful season for you as you're walking through the Word of God. We're picking up where we left off last week. We'll be uh, starting out in Samuel chapter 18 and finishing up the book of 1 Samuel and moving into 2 Samuel through chapter 12. And that will begin us on the story of David and Bathsheba. The book of 1 Samuel is divided up into a few major sections, but we're now in the last major section of 1 Samuel. And really that whole section is chapters 16 through 31, which is the rise of David's prominence and the decline of Saul. So we got started in that section last week with the rise of David to prominence in the kingdom. That was chapters 16 and 17, his anointing and the the killing of Goliath. And now we're picking up the story this week in chapter 18, where Saul begins to become jealous of David. And we're going to hear a few times this little saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And what that means is that it was commonly understood among the people that Saul was a great warrior, but David was even a better warrior. So then we get to chapters 19 through 23. We see Saul beginning in earnest to go after David's life. And he attempts to kill him in chapter 19. Jonathan helps David escape after that. And then David kind of prepares for Saul to be chasing him. He hides his parents. He arms himself at Nob. uh, All of those things that are happening in chapters 21 and 22. And then we get into chapters 24 through 26. There's a couple of incidences there where David spares Saul's life. And that's kind of interesting. I want to come back to that in a few minutes. And then finally, the uh, the book of 1 Samuel wraps up in chapters 27 through 31, where David is in exile and he's fleeing the Philistines at this point. And then we have kind of the end of Saul's life described there. And we end the book with the final barrier has now been removed for David to become king. So that's kind of the major movements of the text at the end of 1 Samuel and how the author unfolds the story of David. Now let's go back and hit a few highlights. I want to point out a few things here. In chapter 18, we see the rivalry between David and Saul begins to spring up. And I do think it's interesting to note that in chapter 18, verse 10, and then later in chapter 19, verse 9, both of those places make the interesting statement 
that Saul is being oppressed by an evil spirit, an evil spirit that is sent from God to kind of torture him. We don't get a lot of details there of what's happening, but definitely the Lord has set his face against Saul and for David. And that's that's really what the author is trying to to tell us there. And then we're going to see how that rivalry is going to play itself out. Now, if we were to look at that in the grand narrative that we've been talking about through the Bible of the seed of the woman versus the seed of the serpent, now Saul is going to be cast in that role of the seed of the serpent. And he's going to go against David, who is being cast in the role as the seed of the woman. And as we know that David will later figure into as a key figure in the genealogy of the Messiah himself. So he, he was a strong player in that line of the woman. So that's again, the big picture of what's going on behind the scenes here as we watch this rivalry between David and Saul. I want to take a few minutes to talk about chapters 24, 25, and 26 because they offer such helpful insight into the issue of Christian leadership. And just wanted to offer a few thoughts for you to think about this week as you're reading. Uh, chapter 24, we have the description of the story of Saul goes into the cave and then what he doesn't know is that David and his men are hiding out in the back of the cave. So if you get the picture there, you know, there's Saul. He's standing there. He's very vulnerable at that moment. He's alone. He doesn't have his guards around him. And David and his men could have easily ambushed him from behind in that moment, slit his throat, got it over with, and David would have been king because he had already been anointed at that point by Samuel and he knew that you know he was going to be the next king the text says in verse 4 then David crept up unnoticed but what does he do instead of slitting Saul's throat he cuts off a corner of Saul's robe it's almost like he had second thoughts there and he was conscience stricken for having cut off the corner even of his robe uh, and he said to his men the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And then Saul left the cave and, and went his way. And we're going to come back to this theme in chapter 25 again, where there is another incident where David spares Saul's life. He sneaks up on him while Saul's asleep. David says in chapter 26, verse 9, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come or he will die or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointing. Now get that spear and that water jug that are near his head and let's go. I mean, here, once again, Saul is very vulnerable. He's asleep and his guards seem to be asleep as well. It, it says that the Lord induced them into this deep sleep in verse 12. David is is motivated with humility towards Saul. If you think about it, David's already been anointed by Saul. He's already knows that he's the heir apparent, not Jonathan. Jonathan will not be the one taking the throne. David's the next king in line. 
And yet he doesn't try to take control of the situation. He doesn't try to manipulate the situation to get the outcome that he already knows is inevitable and not even just inevitable, but God ordained. But he's choosing to sit back and let God do it his way and under his time. And how often is it that, you know, we're in a situation where we're under corrupt leadership, but we're in a a position where there's someone in authority over us who is not the most ethical and and moral example of, of how to be a leader. And yet in this situation, here's Saul, he's, he's not the epitome of a, a righteous king. And yet David humbles himself and submits himself. It's not easy. He's running from Saul. He's running for his life. But yet he always leaves it in God's hands to deal with that leader. And I think that offers an incredibly challenging example for us as God's people to that sometimes he allows corrupt leaders to stay in a position for a certain period of time. That might not be what we would like. It might not be what we would choose. If we had our choice, we would get that person out of there. You know, why doesn't God act and, and see this corruption? But in the case of David and Saul, I think it gives us a very helpful way of looking at it that, that God sometimes leaves corrupt leaders in a place for a particular time, but their reign will come to an end. God will deal with them, and that's God's business. My business is not to try to interfere with that and take control of the situation to have the outcome that seems right for me. Now, it could be that God uses me in, situ- in that situation to help with the change, but that's up to God to put me in that situation, not to make that situation happen on its own. So just a few thoughts about that dynamic with David, and, and it's such a, a fascinating part of this story. Okay, skipping ahead to chapter 31, uh, Saul and his sons go into battle. They're all killed. Saul kills himself. His arm, armor bearer then falls down and kills himself with Saul. And then we go into the opening of chapter 1 of Second Samuel. Uh, someone escapes the battle, comes and makes a report to David about what happened. What I find so interesting about this is David's response to Saul's death. Rather than rejoicing that Saul has now vacated the throne and, and now he can finally go to to his place that he already knows he's been anointed, that he will ascend the throne and and maybe he could have talked about, Yay, I won't be I won't have to run from Saul anymore. His immediate response to hearing the news of the death of Saul and Jonathan is to weep and tear his clothes, and go into a period of mourning. But even more than that, he doesn't rejoice in the death of Saul. What he does is that he calls for the death of the person who kind of finished the job on Saul. Saul had fallen on his sword, apparently, but hadn't quite died, and someone came along and and kind of finished it and, and killed Saul completely. David puts that guy to death and comes back to this theme that he has killed the Lord's anointed. This guy took matters into his own hands and created a vacancy on the throne for David 
by killing Saul himself. David wanted no part of that and put that guy to death. I am blown away by David's perspective, his consistent, patient obedience to wait for the Lord's timing. Finally, David is installed as king. He's brought into Jerusalem and it's not an easy succession. There is some dispute of whether or not David will be the king. And Abner, the commander of Saul's army, tries to make a power play for that. So we're going to read about some of that conflict between Saul's house, if you will, and David's ascension to the throne. Then when we get to chapters 5 through 10, just so you understand, chapters 5 to 10 form a, a literary unit and they kind of fit together. And you might think of the big picture theme here of chapters 5 to 10 being the righteousness of David's kingdom is established and his kingdom will be established forever. So we first see in chapters five and six, David making Jerusalem his capital. He defeats the Philistines and he brings in the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. So he's establishing there that this is going to be the capital for God's people. And he's bringing the center of worship to that capital. And then the pivot point of this whole story is chapter seven. This is almost one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible is second Samuel chapter seven. And it's when God promises David an everlasting kingdom. And right here we are at ground zero for understanding our story, our grand narrative of the seed of the woman versus the seed of the serpent. Because right now we're getting another important link in that chain that that seed of the woman will be a king and he will be descended from a king and he will have a kingdom that will last forever. And we saw that first alluded to back in Genesis chapter 39 and the prophecy to Judah and how the scepter would never depart from him. Now we're revisiting that theme here in Second Samuel chapter 7. And eventually this will be fulfilled in Jesus is coming in Matthew chapter 1. So it's all fitting together. So pay attention to chapter 7. It is critical. Toward the end of the week, we'll get to chapters 8 through 10. And we're going to basically hear about some key early successes of David's reign. Military conquests. And he goes out to war against Ammon. And so this is a nice way of saying, okay, now he's king. He's brought the Ark of the Covenant in. He's established Jerusalem as the capital. This is kind of like, you know, you hear the president, what did you accomplish, Mr. President, in your first 100 days? We're going to round out the week with another shift. It's a literary unit of chapters 11 through 20. And all of those chapters are going to hang together. We're not going to make it all the way to chapter 20 this week, but we're going to get started. And I just want you to know the, what it belongs to. Chapters 11 to 20 are about David's sin and its consequences. And so we start that narrative with chapters 11 and 12 this week on the story of David and Bathsheba.
Well, that's all for this week. I know we're just sort of coming off the Easter season, so I hope that you had a blessed Resurrection Sunday. Definitely my favorite Christian holiday of the year. And as we sign off here, I just want to encourage you, if you're having problems keeping up in your reading, boy, I'm really enjoying that audio Bible feature on the version. listening to that as I'm making my commute into work each day. What a blessing that is. Sometimes I can even reread certain portions because uh, the audio Bible allows me to do that. Give it a try if you haven't done that yet. Okay, that's all for now. We'll see you next week. 